Welcome everybody back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today, I have a special guest, Rocky Walvani, and he is a profit first professional. And today we're going to be talking about profit and we're going to look at profit from a whole new angle. Let's go ahead and jump in. Rocky, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today, Steve. Before we get into this discussion, I'm always curious about how people end up where they are today. Maybe you could provide a a brief background of your journey so far. So looking backwards, it is so easy to see how I ended up where I am. Looking forward, I never realized that this would be kind of the journey I took. Taking a step way, way back, uh, I'm an immigrant to the United States. My parents came here when I was very young. And What was normal to us, I later found out was unusual, which was my parents would talk with their friends about money and about how do you create the American dream? And they would have those kind of conversations. So I always heard money conversations going on. I didn't realize it was a taboo subject that nobody talked about or that people weren't being educated financially. I just assumed everybody understood money because, well, that's just the way I grew up. right? And then when I was a kid, I was very entrepreneurial. I was also very tech driven. And back then the first Apple computer came out and one of the early programs on that computer was a spreadsheet called VisiCal. And so here I am as a teenager teaching accountants how to go from their paper ledgers to electronic spreadsheets. And for me, like I just live on spreadsheets, everything from the grocery list to Thanksgiving to the events we do to the finances are all done on spreadsheets. It's an easy way to keep track of everything and to manage things. And to me, when I look at spreadsheets or I look at taxes, I see a story. And from that story derives questions. And then the questions kind of bring about the change that needs to occur to help people to do financially better. So I had all of these skills, but I wasn't using them appropriately. And at one point, I think I got the aha that business owners weren't looking at their finances. I just assumed they were because, oh, you're a business owner. You understand the business of business. And what I found out is that most business owners love what they do. And accounting is usually not on that list. Right. And so there was a need. And I was like, you know what? I enjoy doing this. I have fun digging through spreadsheets. I can see the stories and the mismatches. And by bringing that to light, people can make better decisions and help them to be more profitable. Absolutely. And and that's interesting. So when you were younger, you were into numbers, you were into spreadsheets from the get-go. Yes, very much so. I mean, I've been playing with spreadsheets for 40 years. <laughs> Hmm. It's interesting. Some people I talk to, they end up in a finance or accounting role kind of by chance or by accident. Some of them, you know, they start out in marketing or engineering or music or whatever it is, and then they end up in finance. So it's interesting that you went that path. And before the show started, we were talking about how prior to working with businesses, you were on the personal finance side. Talk a little bit about that and, and what was your experience in that space? The reason I was in the personal finance side is because I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't understand why there aren't more millionaires. We live in the most abundant country in the world. There's opportunity here. It's not that hard to build wealth, and yet everyone seems to struggle with it. 
So I started a podcast just teaching kind of a little bit more advanced money, not what you hear from a lot of the basic stuff, but getting a little bit deeper into it. And what I learned is that most people want overnight success. Most people aren't willing to show up day after day and make the choices that they need to make over a lifetime to build wealth. And I think that's why so many people struggle. There's two things to that. One, it's doing what you need to do day after day. And it's not that hard. And B, it's money mindsets. So it goes back to how we were taught about money, how we were raised with money. And I didn't realize how many people are raised with bad money messages. And because of that, it comes into adulthood and we're running on programming that no longer serves us. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's like our relationship with money starts from an early age. We're like coded with these different ideas, ideologies, and the mindset can really impact somebody's success when it comes to financial success. Very much so. And I don't think most people realize that that's affecting them in adulthood. Most people don't think about that question. Yeah, absolutely. So from a business side, that's what I'm interested in talking about today. And we're going to be talking about profitability. And, And it's interesting because I did this study when I wrote my second book, my second book is called Outsizing. And in my book, I took 363 contractors in the construction space. And I chose construction because I had access to proprietary data from my consulting practice. And what we did is we looked at these 363 contractors and they ranged from a few million dollars in revenue up to multiple billions of dollars in, in revenue. And we computed economic profit and economic profit in the book. I explain as net operating profit after tax. Okay. Net income minus invested capital times the cost of capital. So meaning that things like property plan equipment or your CapEx and your working capital, there's a cost to those things. They don't show up on the income statement, but there's a true economic impact there. So I took that and I removed that from the net income of these businesses. Then after calculating the economic profit, I broke these companies into deciles, into tenths, 36, 36, 36, 36 companies. And then I mapped it out. And what I got is this curve, which dipped down to the the far left-hand side, and then it went flat, and then it curved up at the end. And what I realized from the study is that 64% of the profits in this pool of these 363 contractors, 64% of the profits went to the top 10% of companies. In other words, the top 10% of these companies captured 64% of the profits. And then the top 20% of companies, they captured 83% of the profits. And what was fascinating, Rocky, is that so many companies out of these 363 companies, so many companies just play to play. They are hardworking individuals. They have good businesses that they love, that they're passionate about. They wake up, they get in the car, they drive to work, they work these tough jobs. They're super ambitious. But at the end of the day, they're just playing to play, meaning that they earn very little economic profit and they just flatline. So I'm excited to jump into today's episode and we're going to talk about why that may be. But first, before we do, I want to start out by just setting the stage. So what's the difference between 
gross profit, net profit, net income, operating profit. There's all these terms, but let's just start with what's the difference between gross and net profit? So if we stay in the construction area, just to make it simple, your gross profit is basically your total revenue minus essentially the cost of goods that went into it. So if we're building a house, it's the materials to build the house and all your subcontractors come out. And then that leaves your gross profit. And the way to think about gross profit is it's the money left to actually run the business, not do the business. So it's all the overhead stuff then comes out of your gross profit, leaving you with your net profit, which is how much do we think we can take out of the company the problem with a P&L statement is it doesn't give you a true picture. Sure. Because there's a lot of things missing on the P&L that affect cash. So I think a lot of people think net profit equals cash. It does not. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that. And it's important. I, I wanted to kick it off with that distinction between gross profit, net profit, and all these other terms. But you're right. I mean, it's revenue minus your cost of goods sold, all the costs related to delivering your products or services to your end customer, whatever industry you're in. And I don't mean delivering, like driving a truck and dropping off your product or service, but delivering whatever it is. If you're delivering homes, building homes, you're delivering a home or final product to that customer. So you got to take out all those direct costs, like you mentioned, Rocky. But I hear a lot of people talk about gross profit, net profit so loosely. And they'll say, yeah, you know, I'm earning 30% profit in my business year over year and it's great. And it's like, okay, are you talking about gross or are you talking about net? Because if you're Google, right, or you're some high-flying tech company and you have this competitive advantage, sure, 30% margins make sense. But a lot of the businesses that I come across, 30% net profit isn't super common in business. 30% net profit is very rare. But again, if you think about it, even if they had that kind of net profit, if they're buying a lot of capital equipment, yep. it's not showing up on their P&L. Exactly. And it's showing up on their balance sheet and they don't realize that. And so they might have a 30% gross profit, but then usually what they end up saying is, how come my accountant says I'm so profitable and I have no cash? Exactly. And I ran into this so many times when I was working with companies. I remember working with this healthcare company and I was working with the owner and it was the the beginning of a year and the company had a bunch of taxes that were due. And and really it wasn't the company, the the individual, the owner had taxes due because it was an S corporation and S corps don't pay taxes, but the owner was on the hook for taxes through their K-1 income. And what was interesting is that he owed over a million dollars in taxes and there wasn't the cash in the bank to pay the tax bill. So Rocky, maybe you can explain more about not necessarily this exact company, but how does that happen in businesses? Like you're mentioning, they show profitability on the P&L. The bottom line, they say, look, here's my net income. They look in their bank account and it's a totally different story. How does that happen? So basically what happens with that is they spent it. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a timing issue because let's face it. When do you find out when your net profit is it usually in April, right? When you get your taxes done, if you do them on time is kind of the case. And 
at that point, you've already been spending since January. And that's why a lot of times the cash is gone. Other things are distributions. They took cash out of the company and they forgot. I can't tell you how often business owners take cash out of the company and forget that they took cash out of the company, which is it happens all the time. And then there's loan payments. It could also be stuck in accounts receivable and accounts payable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times those changes actually suck up cash and people don't realize it. So there are all of these other areas where things get hit, but. There's no one report that shows you all of this. And I think that's the biggest problem with accounting is it's really not designed for the business owner. And it doesn't give them a good picture of what's actually going on within their business. Exactly. And I I think a lot of companies, they have these monthly meetings, which is great if you do these monthly meetings and they review financial statements, but a lot of them, they're just reviewing the income statement. And in those meetings, they're often comparing a budget to the actual performance, and then they're measuring the variance between the two. And I've sat in so many of these meetings, and sure, that's a great exercise to do, or it can be. I'm not a big fan of budgets. I'm more of a forecast person, which is a whole nother episode. But they look at the income statement, and that's what they champion. That's what they celebrate. But to your point, there's things like CapEx, there's distributions, there's changes in working capital. All these items impact the cash of a business. And that's why I always say 70% of companies that go bankrupt, they're actually profitable when they close their doors. So it's an interesting stat there, but it's true. You can show profit on the income statement, but these other items that don't show up on the income statement, like you're mentioning, Rocky, can be really detrimental to a company's financial health. It can be. And I think the biggest problem is, A, the information's old, meaning by the time the business owner gets it, a lot of times it's out of date, depending on how fast it comes back to them. And B, nobody's explaining to them or showing them how to, I'm going to say, read the tea leaves, because Mm -hmm. I find it very rare that somebody will look at Most people look at a balance sheet and they look at it for today and they go, oh, that looks good. Yeah. How many people actually take a balance sheet and look at it month by month across the year and look for the subtle changes that are going on and start understanding what those relationships are and kind of what's going on with regards to that? Yeah, absolutely. Not not too often. I mean, a lot of these business owners, at least that I've worked with, they, they don't even look at a balance sheet. They just look at the income statement. Correct, which doesn't show the total picture. And even the balance sheet, I mean, the balance sheet doesn't show the total picture either. You have to look at all of them, and that's really difficult to do. Let's take a quick break. All right, I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. 
I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ, Com and check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now back to the show. Yeah. And that's why the statement of cash flow is my favorite financial statement because it's, it's this culmination of the income statement and balance sheet. It's really the statement of cash flows is like the income statement and balance sheet got married and had a baby. And that's what it is. But it, it's fascinating how many companies don't even look at the statement of cash flows. They don't. And I'll be honest. I mean, most of my clients use QuickBooks and QuickBooks just does a horrible job with it. I don't think it gives you the information that you need. It is just not clear enough to the business owner, what's going on. So I think a lot of times it has limited value because of the way it's created, but it is, yeah, I think it's definitely good. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. And it's funny because QuickBooks, you know, I've used QuickBooks quite a bit and and they're even embarrassed of the statement of cash flows because if you go to their menu and you look up reports and you look up the income statement balance sheet, they're pretty predominant in the list, but then the statement of cash flow is kind of hidden. And that's because the system doesn't do a good job at tracking things like capital expenditures and other inflows and outflows in working capital. I think it goes back to my first point, you know, when I was talking about the research I performed in my book, Outsizing with these companies, is that you have this invested capital base, which is your property plant equipment, also known as capital expenditures. And you have this working capital, and then combined with that distributions. So if you are an LLC, tax as a partnership, then you take distributions out of the company. You don't take W 2 wages unless you're an S-corp or an LLC taxes and S-corp. So you may show a bottom line, you may show a few hundred grand of profit in your business, but if you're taking distributions out, that's definitely going to impact cash and ultimately the financial health of the business. So I, I think it, it's this interesting concept to understand that profitability on the financial statements doesn't tell the whole picture of the business. And there's a different way to look at it. So I want to talk to you about this idea of how we have the wrong equation for profit. Maybe you can explain that a little bit more, Rocky. So I'm a profit first professional. It's all based on the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And Mike is a serial entrepreneur. He actually had a company that did forensic accounting. They investigated Enron, a lot of high profile cases. By the way, the company was never profitable. He did sell it out. And that's when he got his profit from the sale of the company was his big payday. And he walked away with a lot of money. And like all business owners who sometimes are lucky, (laughs) he thought he was smart and he lost all the money within a short period of time to the point where they're coming for the keys to the house and the car. And he's like, how could this happen? How did this go so wrong? Like, what did I screw up? And he came to realize a lot of what we're talking about, right? The reports don't give us the information we need. Number one. And number two, the equation that we're given 
from our accountant, which is sales minus expenses equals profit, means that profit's an afterthought. It's a leftover. This whole time we've been talking about profit, we're always talking about it as something that happens at the end. He goes, why don't we make profit the priority? And so he changed the equation to sales minus profit equals expenses. And we scrape the profit up front, just like you pay yourself first, right? It's the same exact principle. And in doing so, we're guaranteed to be profitable and we've got a better idea of what's going on. And honestly, the profit first system solves all the problems we've talked about up until this time, because what it really is, is a cash flow management system that works in real time, the way business owners think and behave. So maybe you can explain that more. So somebody's listening to this and they say, okay, Rocky, that's great. Right. I understand that concept. Pay yourself first, put profit first. How do you actually implement that in the real world? So there's two things to this. In the book, Mike's got targets, which says, you know, for this size company, this is kind of where you should be. But we don't start with targets. We start with where we are today. And so we sit down, we look at your business and we say, okay, from what we can best see, this is your profit margin. This is what your taxes are. We can look at last year's tax return and get an idea of what that percentage is. Here's how much you want to pay yourself, which means that once we do all of that, we can say this is how much is left for spending. And so Mike just set up five bank accounts. The first bank account's your income account. All your income goes into your income account. The really cool thing about this is every month, Whenever you sit down and you look at your bank account, you can see how much income has come in. It's crystal clear because the only thing happening in that account is money comes in. And on a set schedule, we then allocate that money to what we said we were going to use it for. Let's just say that at the beginning, we have a 5% profit margin. When we look at the income account, we take 5% and we put it in the profit bank account. And that's our profit and we don't touch it. And then next up is making sure you get paid because most business owners don't pay themselves till last, which is a mistake. So you take your percentage out and you put it in your pay account. And then next is taxes. So when you get the million dollar tax bill, like the gentleman you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the money is there. You stroke a check because we didn't accidentally spend our tax money. And so we put the money aside for taxes. And now what's left goes into our operating account. And what happens is, is we learn to work on what's in our operating account. That's our spending account. And what happens is, is all the cash going out of it is clear as day. And if you run out of cash, you realize very quickly, you've got a problem and you need to make a change. And the change can either be, I mean, people always want to run out and do more sales. The problem with more sales is if your sales aren't profitable to begin with, Selling more or discounting to get more cash in the door can put you into a vicious down cycle. And so there's a lot more that that we do behind the scenes. But this way, at least your money goes to where it's supposed to go. You're giving every dollar a job. These are the same concepts as personal finance. And you're using it for that indicated purpose. So like you hear Dave Ramsey talk about the envelope system. Where, you know, you get your money and you separate it for the rent and for the utilities and food and maybe vacation. And then when the envelope's empty, you stop spending. Well, it's the same concept for business. 
when your operating expenses are done, you have to stop spending and then you have to sit down and say, why did my operating expenses run out? Where am I overspending? Where am I wasting money? What happened and how do I prevent that happening in the future? So essentially what you're saying, let's just say a company does a million dollars a year, which is $83,000 a month. So $83,000 a month in sales, they get $83,000 in money coming in. Let's just ignore timing and everything else. They just get $83,000 come into their business. They put it into account and they say, okay, Rocky, I want to have 10% margins on this million dollars. So I'm going to take $8,300. I'm just going to put this in another account. And this is just my profit savings account. Is that what you're saying essentially? Exactly. And then the rest of the money goes into this operating bucket after the taxes, of course. And And the pay for the the owner. And the pay for the owner. And then as they're paying their overhead or as they're making business decisions, like, huh, maybe I should hire somebody else in the office, or maybe I should put more money into advertising, or I should go buy these t-shirts or this new office furniture or whatever it is. Then they're really working from this account that will keep them in check. Because like you said, if that account goes low immediately, it's like, oh crap, we got a problem here. Either our overhead is out of control. We're not making the margin that we should be making on our products and services, but something's up and they realize that before they get to the end of the year and they have zero to negative profit. Correct. And here's the thing, you know, when they sit down and they look at the money to allocate it, if there's not $83,000 in the bank, you know, there's a problem. Let's say there's only 60,000 in the bank. Well, why is there only 60,000? Oh, someone didn't pay us. Who didn't pay us? Or this check bounced and we didn't realize it or this didn't happen. So it starts the investigative process. And again, people do overspend. So all of this is based on Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law basically says a business will use up all the time and money allocated to it. Mm hmm. So when you come up with a project, it's usually, okay, we have a project. What's our budget and what's our timeline? You say $100,000 in six months, it's going to take $100,000 in six months. But if you say, hey, no, our budget's only $30,000 and we've got one month, we'll figure out how to get it done for $30,000 in one month because we're resourceful. Too often, business owners are throwing money at problems instead of sitting down and thinking about better solutions. And that's one of the underlying principles here is forcing you to think through your business spending because too often people say, oh, you got to spend money to make money. Not necessarily. And I think that's a big key is planning through that a little bit better. Yeah. And I think it's so easy in life to just get so busy and we're just running at such a frantic pace we're in business, we just try to throw resources and time out at it, like you said. And I have experience in that space as well, where you know I've seen that over and over again. Like I've I've been, you know, that perpetrator where you say, Okay, I'm gonna set this time horizon, I'm gonna set the six month hundred thousand dollar budget. And yeah, it takes six months and sometimes it takes two hundred and fifty thousand, you know, to do it. Exactly. In our, in our personal lives, it's it's interesting where it's like, okay, I'm going on vacation on Friday, I got two more days left in the week, and I gotta bust out all this stuff. Well, guess what? When Friday comes around, it's amazing. A lot of the stuff gets done because we just get laser focused and we're working within these constraints. And I think what you're saying, you have a a strong point here is like when you force constraints, 
in on your business, it can really create the discipline that you need in order to be a profitable business. That is correct. And that's what this is doing. It's giving you constraints and discipline to be able to do that. That's literally what it's all about. Okay. So somebody's listening to this and like, okay, Rocky, that's great. It sounds so simple. I'll go create these new bank accounts. But in the meantime, back at the ranch, I cannot seem to make my company profitable. What would you tell them? What are some common problems that prevent businesses from being profitable? So I think the first one is pricing. I think very often business owners don't always do a good job of setting up their pricing. And so it could be for a couple of reasons. Number one, they look out and see, hey, the market's charging this, so that's what I have to charge. Not having any idea of what the inputs are. And so I think that's part of it. And so that is probably the first step is making sure that you are appropriately charging for what you have to deliver. You talk about construction. I think that's the area where people don't have a good handle. And COVID really changed that, right? Because a two by four went from $3 to $10. Sure. If you weren't keeping up with that, you were in trouble because you were bidding at $3 and it was costing you 10 and you were going out of business quick. So I think that's one of the biggest things. And then the second thing is making sure you understand your inputs, both from a material, but also from a time, right? A lot of times, and we'll just because we talked about construction, people, oh, that takes eight hours to do. But when you sit down and you actually look at it, you find out it takes 16 hours. Well, if you're bidding it for eight hours of work and it's taking you 16, you're losing money. I see the same thing happen with building websites or other types of things. They don't actually allocate the time that it took to do something. And then there's the capital cost. Like if you need to buy equipment, are you actually keeping track? If I'm using a $100,000 piece of equipment that needs replaced every three years, are you allocating that cost to the actual product and making sure that you're charging enough to cover for replacing that piece of equipment. Yeah. And then beyond the equipment, I mean, those are just some of the things off the top. And I think a lot of times we don't, you know, we offer a discount, but we don't actually figure out what that's doing to our profitability. If you've got salespeople and you give them the ability to discount, they'll discount left and right because sure. they don't care, right? They just got to hit a sales goal. So you know, there's a lot of different reasons in there. But the biggest thing is taking the time to sit down and do the math behind what you're doing. And I'll be honest, even big companies do this horribly. They have no idea where their profit's coming from. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned price first, because I agree with that. I think a lot of consultants go into businesses and they do a disservice because immediately they go towards cutting costs, overhead costs. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's there's nothing wrong with cutting costs. You should run efficiently and manage your your cost, your cost of capital and your just your overall operating models, making sure that you're efficient. That that's great. But the biggest upside that I found is in the pricing. You can only cut so far before you really start hurting the long-term viability of your business. But with pricing, you're right. So many companies, they have it wrong. And they know what their pricing is. They just base it on competitors, but they don't know how that relates to their cost structure. 
So every single business is different and you can't just price things based on what the competition is doing. Obviously you need to know what the competition is doing. Don't get me wrong. You can't be charging $20 for a scoop of ice cream and the competitors down the street are charging four bucks, right? But when you look at your overall business model and the the strategy of your business and how you're delivering value to the end user, all these things go into pricing considerations. And that's really what I try to help people understand is that when price exceeds value, customers don't buy. When value exceeds price, customers buy. To your point, Rocky, so many companies, they come in and they don't do the hard work to increase the value to the customer. And you increase value through your brand, through your quality, through your customer experience, through your positioning, all these things related to just the the strategy of the business. They don't do the hard work. And instead, they just fall into the trap of pricing their services based on the competition, or they do discounting. But look, you know, if you have $10,000 in profit, or let's just say a hundred thousand, you have a hundred thousand dollars in revenue and you're in a 10% profit. That means you make $10,000 a year, right? Now, if you offer a $1,000 discount, that means you have to earn $10,000. Okay. Which is do the backwards math there. You have to earn $10,000 in revenue in order to earn that $1,000 in profit at a 10% margin. So if you're discounting your products and services and you discount, oh, here's $1,000 off, here's $500 off, and you multiply that by 10 to get back to where you need to be, then essentially you got to go out and perform $10,000 more of work just to make up for that $1,000 of discounting. So discounting can be very problematic in businesses and it can really hurt the bottom line. That is correct. And I think the same thing goes for if you need to purchase equipment, like we'll come back to the construction people. Sorry, we're picking on you. So often the accountant goes, oh, you're you're profitable this year. Why don't you go buy a truck? And they go buy a $100,000 truck. And they don't realize that when they buy that $100,000 truck, they literally need a million dollars in sales if they have a 10% profit margin to pay for that truck. When you start realizing how much work it takes to pay for what you have, you start cutting your spending pretty quickly, but you stop spending on things that don't add value. And I think too often business owners, oh, we need a fancy office building. People don't necessarily pay for a fancy office building. That's not what's making you profitable. And I think it's appropriate spending is what you have to look at. It's not cutting the wrong costs. It's cutting the right costs and knowing the difference. Yep. I absolutely agree. And and you touched on a hot button for me. I, I want to touch on this point and dive a little bit deeper into that exact scenario you just brought up because I've seen so many companies at the end of the year, they show a profit and their accountants, their tax accountants will say, look, you know, you're showing $100,000 in profit to your example, and you're going to have to pay taxes on this. Or you could go out and buy a truck and you can use section 179 and, you know, write it off, assuming it qualifies, right? And they're like, oh, that's great. I'm going to go buy this equipment. I'm going to write it all off, depreciate it all, take the one-time depreciation this year and reduce my taxable income. And haha, look at, I don't have to pay taxes. And it's like, there's no such thing as not paying taxes unless you're doing something illegal. It's really, you're deferring taxes. So if you take that type of strategy, it creates a, multiple problems. Number one, you're going to reduce your taxable income, which means on your, your tax statements, your tax returns, 
you're not going to show taxable income. So if you go to try to get a line of credit for your business or secure other types of financing and you're showing in your tax returns, well, you're going to have a problem because you're not showing that taxable income. And sure, you could always go back and explain and say, hey, look, you know, it's because I bought this equipment and, you know, do an ad back here. And sometimes, you know, institutions will do an ad back, but a lot of times they don't. So it can really hurt your ability to secure financing in the future if you do that strategy. But number two, like to your point, Rocky, you're you're buying things that you may not even need. You may not even need that hundred thousand dollar truck in your business. Now you got to go do a million dollars in revenue to pay for that truck. And if you look at your average transaction size, that could be a lot of hustle just to pay for that truck. And then number three, there's a timing difference. So sure, you could take the depreciation this year, but if you're financing it, there's debt service. You got to pay the principal and interest over the life of the, the loan. So if it's a five-year loan, you have to come up with the you know, the principal and interest payments. And the interest you could take as a tax deduction, it'll, it'll hit on your income statement. But the debt service, that's just cash out the door. That doesn't show up on your income statement. And that's when you can show income but you don't have the cash. So I bring that up because I've seen so many companies get bad advice and so many people, they think, oh, let, let me just reduce my taxable income. Let me take this section 179 depreciation. And I, I think it could be very myopic and it could be such a near-term strategy that really hurts a business in the long-term if they're not careful. Now, there's some situations where it makes sense, but I want to get your take on it, Rocky, because I've seen it really hurt business owners if they don't understand the implications of it. And here, here's the dirty little secret behind this. The reason the accountant is doing that is because if you have a tax bill and you don't have money to pay it, you're going to yell at the accountant. Mm-hmm. You're not going to yell at the IRS or somebody else. And so to not get yelled at, they're like, yeah, go go spend money. You'll leave me alone. You'll be happy. And it's a win-win, so to speak, but it's not because you wake up in April, May, June with cash flow problems. And you ask the question that we started with, you know, I'm profitable. Where's my cash? Well, you bought the truck. It was a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So, and I like that approach that you're talking about as far as the bank accounts and putting cash away, putting your profit away and saying, hey, look, this is my profit safety net. And look, if if you're running short on cash, obviously you're going to have to go into that bank account and drain it. But then you're going to know, oh my gosh, I'm not hitting my profit margin. Something's wrong. I need to correct. Instead of just running the business throughout the year and then praying at the end of the year that there's going to be some type of profit left over. I think that's a horrible strategy to pursue. And that's why I think this approach of putting profit first can be very valuable for business owners. Believe it or not, there's hundreds of thousands of businesses that do this. And it literally is a game changer for them. They go from struggling to like, wow, we've got great cash flow. Things are going well. It's not overnight. I mean, it takes them one, two, three years to get from where they are to where they need to be. But it just changes the whole way they look and think about their business. And at the end of the day, when you've got money in the bank, you sleep better at night. Yep, I agree. I agree. And and, uh, the Harvard professor, Clayton Christensen, I don't know if you heard of this phrase here. I'm sure you have. But uh, he said, you know, be patient on 
revenue, be impatient on profit. And I think too many organizations, they get impatient on revenue and they're patient with profit. So what I mean by that is too many leaders will focus on growing the top line. So I was working with a company years ago and they just, they struggled to earn profitability year over year, over year, over year. So the business owner, he said, Hey, we're going to adopt this strategy. We're going to double the top line. What they didn't realize is that when you grow your business, all of a sudden your fixed expenses, they're not just linear. It's not like you grow your top line by 20% and your fixed expenses go up 20% because they're like steps. They're like step cost. Now you got to hire somebody. So you like step up in salary until you reach appropriate scale. You move into a bigger office. You have to buy more supplies, do more advertising, more marketing. So they're like step costs. And in addition to that, the company's working capital requirement increased because they doubled their revenue. So that means they had more accounts receivable, outstanding. They had more, you know, that that margin between AR and AP just continued to grow and they didn't have the financing and they almost went out of business by taking this approach. So why do you think so many companies think that growing the top line is the end all solution? And the follow-up question to that Rocky is, but aren't there certain circumstances where growing the top line and being patient on profit is a viable strategy as well? So I think one of the reasons that companies aren't focused on the bottom line is a it's not always easy to figure out what the bottom line is you don't get that answer extremely timely meaning it might take you a little bit longer to see when that actually occurs and so i think that's one of the reasons why b top line revenue is easy to see and so it's easy to do the chest thumping and say, hey, we're doing great. Um, it doesn't require that much effort to figure out. But at the end of the day, like you've talked about, growth takes cash. And most people don't realize that. They don't realize how much cash they need to cover growth. Because let's just say, and use a simple example, I'm selling X. Well, in order to sell X, I got to make X. So now I have to put all this money out to make it, and then I have to go sell it. Well, if I don't have all the money available to put out, to put all the materials and the labor and everything else into making it before I sell it, then I've got a problem. And second, if you're selling to someone else who's selling, then you've got a bigger problem because even though you've sold it today, they might not pay you for 60 or 90 days. So now you've really got to cover quite a long period of time of cash going out the door before you see the first dollar coming in. And so that I think is the problem. Now, where does it make sense to grow? If you've got somebody who's paying you ahead of time, well, then you don't have to worry about these things. But it's rare that you're going to be in a situation where you're getting paid ahead of sales. In other words, ahead of delivery of the sale. And so that's the case. The other thing is, I think, you know, if you have a large capital company, then it might take you a while to get sales up to the point where you can cover all the overhead and everything else. But I think before you begin 
you need to sit down and plan out the cash flow that you need. I mean, let's face it. If, if you got into an airplane in Los Angeles and you took off and the pilot says, well, we got enough fuel to land to make it to Denver, but we're going to New York today. We'll figure it out up in the air. You're not getting on that plane because sure. you know it's going to go down. And yet how many businesses don't take that time to figure out how much cash do I really need to grow and to make it to where I want to be? And most don't. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. And I think that's critical, especially before you engage in a growth strategy, understanding those cash requirements. Otherwise, you could get yourself in trouble and grow yourself out of business. So Rocky, we're out of time. We could keep going on and on because I love this topic. I'm super passionate about it, just like you are. I really appreciate you being on the show a lot of great points for those who are listening to today. So I'm sure the audience got a lot of value out of it. If you're not a member of the Boosting Your Financial IQ community, you can join for free by going to byfiq.com and you can sign up there. You can get access to either the personal finance or the corporate finance community, or you could join both. So check those out. There's a lot of great resources there for you. Also on BYFIQ, I will link Rocky's information. So you could go to the podcast section, go down to guest. I'll have Rocky's bio up and I'll also have other links where you can find more information about him and his approach. So Rocky, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. And everybody, thank you once again for tuning in and until next time, take care. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.